Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, and periodically some interesting off-topic episodes that, for no other reason, your host finds interesting. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio, a position I've enjoyed for over three decades. In just a moment, we'll explore today's topic. You can find and listen to this podcast via any podcast app by searching for Weather Jazz, one word. Every episode is available via the website, weatherjazz.com, which is also where you'll find any accompanying information and links for every episode. This is episode number 92 for Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving in America. Uh, And that's uh, November the 27th this year, 2019. Good to have you with us. And uh, this is going to be our Thanksgiving edition. Want to uh, rattle off some interesting things happening. Of course, we are in an active weather pattern here in the United States. If you're listening to us from uh, another part of the globe... Well, if it's pretty quiet where you are, that's because we have all the action here. Major winter storm from Denver all the way up to and through and including Minneapolis, all the way up into the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. On the other side of that, it was windy and mild, at least early on today. We had wind gusts uh, well over 60 miles an hour in a lot of places in the Ohio Valley. And now the temperature drops. So this is just a a fascinating uh, system. And uh, we are entering in what appears to be somewhat of an active wave train pattern of storms, which will explosively develop in and around the uh, confines of the continental United States. Uh, Crazy, crazy time. As far as the temperature so far for the month of November goes here in Cleveland, we are running an average departure of six degrees below normal, and that is outside the realm of what is considered normal. That's plus or minus two. And so that uh, that deviation, three times past the deviation, really makes it somewhat significant. However, so far for snowfall, even though uh, it started out on a rather robust uh, way toward uh, not quite the middle of November, it was... Uh, between the 5th and the 15th, we ended up with three and a half inches of snow and not much since then. And so as a result, we are right at where we should be for this time of year. We'll see if that continues. Well, hey, listen, what I want to do as we approach this Thanksgiving is be thankful for the sky. A very, uh, just a delightful person. And uh, recently in the last 10 years or so, Jack Borden has become my friend. Jack Borden was a television reporter at WBZ in Boston. And uh, when uh, he saw that so many people did not know how to to describe the sky, he started a foundation, a 501c3, a nonprofit foundation called For Spacious Skies. And uh, back a number of years ago, seven to be precise, 
uh, we got together on Weather Jazz when Weather Jazz was in its infancy. Now, his program is still available on the Vintage Program tabs. However, uh, I want to revisit this visit. And so uh, this episode and the the following one, we're going to separate this into two parts uh, between here now before Thanksgiving and slightly after. And uh, so let's revisit uh, the conversation that I had with Jack Borden from For Spacious Skies. Jack, it is really an honor and a pleasure to have you on Weather Jazz today. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Uh, Jack, you have had a, a very interesting career. And growing up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, I have had the opportunity to watch many of your reports. Uh, before we get into your awareness of the sky, something that truly amazes me, uh, please tell me what the turn of events in your life led to your career as a television reporter at WBZ in Boston. Well, uh, I was always interested in uh, radio growing up back in the 30s, uh, listening to radio stations from far and wide. I often thought, gee, wouldn't it be fun if I were the guy on the other end of this whole <laughs> transmission instead of a listener, but a guy on there doing doing radio. So I found myself... Uh, getting into radio. And then the station that I worked at in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, got into the TV business back in the 30s, I'm sorry, the 50s. And then, uh, so I found myself working at a TV station as a newsman. And um, that brought me from Hartford, Connecticut via Toledo to uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and working for Channel 4 WBZ-TV, which was one of America's great heritage stations. And um, that was in 1959, and I worked there through 1980 as a newsman and uh, continued on, uh, then founded for Spacious Skies, which is another aspect of this whole thing. But even after founding for Spacious Skies in 1980-81, what I did was um, I stayed in TV. I worked the summer at Channel, uh, or most of the year, actually, as a replacement person at Channel 5 Boston, and then uh, I was asked to work at CNN to do a series on high-tech for the consumer, so I worked for CNN traveling around the country doing high-tech stories for close to a year, a series sponsored by Duracell Batteries. And then I bailed out of TV completely in order to get involved in uh, pursuing for Spacious Skies, which is an effort, an undertaking dedicated to getting people to look up, to look up long enough to gain not just an awareness of the sky, not just an understanding of the fact that they haven't been looking at it, but to appreciate its awesome beauty, indeed its sheer glory, because it's there. And it's something that I myself did not have 
even though I had a very outdoorsy kind of a life as a hiker, Appalachian Mountain Club, I uh, was in the Army in Japan for a year working in a radio tower with a, a 15-mile view from a tower in uh, Osaka Bay. And, well, I had no excuse for not seeing the sky. Mm -hmm. But I really wasn't seeing it in the true sense of the word. It was just kind of a quick look to see what the weather was going to be. Or maybe if somebody hollered, hey, check out the rainbow. I never really appreciated the virtual moment-to-moment -moment incredible magnificence of the sky, which was called by Ralph Waldo Emerson, the daily bread of the eyes. Mm. Also called it the ultimate art gallery, and indeed it is. And yet how many art teachers focus on the sky, even though it's what our great American landscape painter Thomas Cole called the soul of all scenery. They just don't emphasize it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, let me now ask you about this revelation that you had you always had a unique flair for telling stories on television, Jack. And I remember, I remember as clear as day, pun intended, the day you did a story on Sky Awareness in 1977, I believe it was. And exactly. Tell me uh, and uh, our audience here on Weather Jazz uh, how all that came about. In uh, April of 1977, I was... Um a member of the Appalachian Mountain Club, doing a lot of hiking with my wife. But one day, Andre, I, I, it's, it's one of those things that's very difficult to put into words. You know, the, the term is ineffable. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, my wife and I were out just kind of walking around at the Wachusett Meadow Audubon Sanctuary. We're, we're not out on an organized AMS uh, hike, AMC hike. Uh, we were just the two of us, and I laid down uh, for a little nap in a meadow. And it wasn't on a mountaintop or anything. It was like virtually enclosed by trees, okay, even though it was pretty high ground out, out, out there. And I would say that it, uh, I dozed off for not, not a very long time. It had to be, it probably wasn't any more than five or ten minutes. I opened my eyes and it's as though I saw the sky for the first time in my life. I was 49 years old, all right? And it was like, wow, mm -hmm. holy cow, it bowled me over. I mean, there were, it wasn't even, as I've often said, it wasn't even a world-class sky. It was just plain the sky. Mm -hmm. It was some big cumulus clouds. It's windy. They're blown across the sky. And, but I'm looking up, and because I'm really seeing it now, rather than just kind of noticing it, I'm, I'm seeing it in every dimension of the word see, mm -hmm. truly seeing it. What astonished me more than anything else was I'm saying to myself, my God, this is the first time I've ever really seen the sky. And I have been unaware of the sky. So I became, in an instant, in the snap of the fingers, all right, I became aware of the sky. I saw more of the sky in a millisecond than I had seen in my all of my 49 years up to that point. And most profoundly, I had become aware of my hitherto unawareness of the sky. Wow. Mm -hmm. Let's turn that over to what you saw on TV. Mm -hmm. Now let's look at it a little later in, in the game. Uh, in 1977, 
this is uh, April that I have the, this revelation, if you want to call it that, this epiphanal experience. It could almost be regarded by some as a religious experience, although I, uh, there was no emergence of, of, uh, of Jehovah from the clouds. His manifestations, you might say, were present. Mm-hmm. All right? It says somewhere in the scripture, since the creation, he has manifested his invisible self in those things which are visible. Hence, they are without excuse, mm-hmm. say they do not know him. All right? Right. So that if you're looking, so what, it, what that piece of scripture is saying is, if you're looking for him, just look around. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's his manifestation, the manifestation of, the, of his invisibility, all right, is, ta- is manifesting itself in those things which are visible. So if a person is spiritually inclined, he can feast on the sky, and he's being obedient to the scriptures, all right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it, it needn't mean that the person be a spiritual person, but it seems that the sky, and looking at the sky, tends to act on his latent spirituality. Right. Everyone has. I don't care how devout an atheist you are. I was thinking of putting out an album of atheist hymns. I think they're all probably, you know, reconcilable with something. So anyway, uh, what I did was on January, on June the 22nd, I think it was, uh, that would be a couple of months after I had my my experience, uh, I set up on a street corner in Arlington, Mass., just outside of Boston, Mass Avenue, flat. Mm-hmm. Looking up toward Lexington, you can see a lot of sky, even though it's a suburb. You know what I mean? You think that, that there's enough distraction on the ground that's going to blot out the sky. No way. Plenty of sky. More than enough sky. As a matter of fact, any amount of sky is more than enough sky to a person who really sees it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then I stopped in the neighborhood I, of 22 people on the street. All right? I put my eye, my hand gently over their eyes, visor style. You never want to put your hand over a person's eyes. Uh, blindfold style, it's scare them. So you just gently put your hand over their eyes, and I do man-on-the-street interviews. How would you describe the present appearance of the sky? Of the sky? And I would say that there wasn't a single person of, all, of that 20-plus uh, number of people who who really could, who gave me a description that indicated that they really saw the sky. They'd say things like, oh, it's a bright day, it's a beautiful day. I said, but what about, are there any clouds up there? Oh, there might be. Imagine, there might be. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And yet, you see, it was easy for me to identify with that, Andre, mm-hmm. because I would have been in the same situation of those people prior to my April experience. Mm-hmm. Or unless I had been looking at the sky with a purpose, like, I've got two tickets to Fenway Park, all right? Uh, I understand it might rain later today, and so I'm looking at the sky all day because I don't want to waste my time and money driving down to Boston to, to sit in the rain and watch ball games. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, and so I interviewed those people, and, I, and obviously in television, as I've often joked, we served our gourmet meals in a mess kit. Uh, how many? I'm not going to run 21 interviews on the news, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're lucky if you can run two. So I ran about six, I think it was, five or six. And um, But there weren't any of these people. One guy says, oh, yeah, I was out of my front porch looking at it. I ran, I ran that on, uh, because I thought, geez, maybe I got somebody here who, who, who really looked at the sky. I found out later on 
the guy had told some kids that he had tricked me, all right? Oh, really? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. In other words, when he went on there, he told me that he'd been looking at this guy, but he hadn't. And so if you, because if, if I, uh, I believe it might be on something on a DVD that I sent you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, all right. So when he says, I was sitting on my front porch admiring it, it was beautiful. He didn't say anything qualitative. You know, if he said something like, I saw a, sky, a cloud that looked like a kangaroo or something like that, I'd say, then I, see, I was, I was so green at this thing, I didn't know how to listen to people. Right. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I've learned how to listen to them. So when they're talking about really seeing the sky, it's a hell of a lot different from, from saying it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. It'd be a beautiful day, but at the same time, it becomes an even more beautiful day if you're able to really see it. Oh, sure. Yep. More perspective. So, now this touched off quite a response from people. I got a lot of telephone calls. People said, hey, that was terrific. You ought to do that more often. Okay? That was really good, because when you asked those people that, and they said they didn't know what was going on up there, uh, you, you were talking about me, said the caller or the writer, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore, uh, I started looking at the sky more, and gee, you know, you're right, it's really interesting up there, wow, thanks a lot, mm-hmm. and people were thanking me. Then I started getting some responses from teachers, and they were telling me, I not only started looking at the sky, but I began to get my kids looking at the sky, and wow, what a difference it seems to make, it not only in their schoolwork, but it makes a hell of a lot of difference in their behavior. Oh, sure does, Yes. No kid who appreciates the beauty and wonder of the sky will ever mug a 7-Eleven cashier. That's my motto. <laughs> I mean, it's like if somebody walking into a into a 7-Eleven before he pulls out a gun, whistling a Mozart sonata. <laughs> That's, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it seems a, a little, little off-kilter. So this was the beginning, then, of For Spacious Skies, perhaps in concept, but how long did it take for you to actually assemble the pieces, put it together, and for Spacious Skies became a reality. Well, uh, I went on WBC radio, all right? I was uh, I took Dave Maynard's place, uh, the name probably familiar to you because yes. you're in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And Dave had an all-night show on WBC radio, and uh, he went off on vacation, so they asked me to do his show. Uh, for a while. This is before Larry Glick took it over. And um, so I decided I'm going to get on there and I'm going to talk about the night. Usually when you talk about night, you're talking about the glamour of the all-night pizza joint, the cab driver's life, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, All the things, the romance of the night. I wanted to talk about the physical aspect of the night. You know what I mean? What kind of what kind of bugs come out at night? Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, animals are purely nocturnal? All that stuff. And I began to get telephone calls from people who knew a lot about these things. And one of the calls that I get is from Chicago. All right. And this guy uh, picks me up. The WBZ got in at after sundown. Gets into about thirty-eight states, not to mention Canada. Mm-hmm. From Mexico, you know, as you know, it's all over the place—a fifty thousand watt station. So the the uh, result was that people started corresponding me, uh, writing, wrote a lot of letters to me from all over the country, all over the east, east of the Mississippi, especially, 
And one guy in particular said, you should contact Bruce McHenry at the National Park Service, mm-hmm. North Atlantic Regional Office in Boston. And um, he really would like to get into this business of looking at the sky. And uh, so I contacted him. He became enthused, third generation, I believe, of Park Service employees. And I turned him on to the sky when I called his attention to the fact that I hadn't seen the sky. Mm-hmm. He began to look at it more profoundly. And he got so turned on by his own being turned on that he said, uh, wow, we ought to do something together, something in terms of the National Park Service. I said, fine. So a guy comes, we invite a guy in from the National Science Foundation. He said, the first thing you guys ought to do is hold a conference on the sky and uh, hold it in a good place, but a kind of a remote place, because you don't want people looking for the nearest Chinese restaurant and the nearest combat zone. <laughs> you want to keep them in a more, in a more, in a less urban setting. Sure. So McHenry said, well, wait a minute. We'll do it at the Grand Canyon National Park. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's hard to find any all-night bar rooms at the Grand Canyon. Mm, that's exactly right. Sure. Okay. So, uh, you know, because I covered so many, you know, uh, exhibitions and conferences in Boston, I knew what people do. The moment they get loose from going to the conference seminars, they're right down the combat zone looking for some excitement in an all-night bar room. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, so... What happened is this thing, uh, the guy from the National Science Foundation said, look, if you can get presentation of some good papers, good attendance, good publicity for this thing, you will be able to show that there is a definite future for this whole business of sky awareness. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing was a huge success. We were covered by the wire services, front page of the Christian Science Monitor, the Los Angeles Times story, and the New York Times. It was all over the place. Even the NBC Today show did a six or seven minute piece. Mm-hmm. All right. Later in the year, uh, uh, the Smithsonian uh, magazine did a cover story on it. Wow. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we did co- unbelievable, unbelievable coverage. And when was uh, what year was oh, the um, which I sent you? In what year was the uh, the conference? Was that the conference? Uh, May 31st, it was the Memorial Day weekend, 1981. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, was a, it, it was a smash success, all right? More people, you know, uh, but here's something that I learned. Mm-hmm. Many people who responded said, oh, this was great. We need more things like this. Uh, I see the sky. This wasn't even, we're not even talking now about people that were moved to become more aware of the sky. We're talking about people who were already aware of the sky. Mm-hmm. And these people were saying things like, you know, it's about time somebody called attention to the magnificence of the sky, blah, blah, blah. So I would ask some of these people. I made long-distance calls to some of them. I wrote to some of them. I said, look, how would you like to help me? Well, uh, I'll send you a few bucks. I said, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting out there and doing something uh, that will help it proliferate, especially in your community and in your schools. Uh, look, one of the things, that, this is, I swear, this is what some of the people said. You know, Jack, I seldom talk about it with anybody because, uh, well, the truth is I don't want people to think I'm weird. Uh, let's say you're outside, you're looking up, mm-hmm. right? and uh, somebody comes over to you and says, what are you looking at? If you said, I'm looking at a, um, 
an interesting airplane up there, or uh, I'm looking for some signs of that um, uh, eclipse that they were talking about, or I think there's an eagle that just flew over. If you tell them that you're looking at something, then uh, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, where where was it? Where did you see it? In other words, it's okay to look at something in the sky. Mm-hmm. But if you say, I'm just looking at this, I'm admiring the beauty of the sky, the, the immensity of it, of, of the, this huge canopy over us. It's, it's like, it, it's amazing. I can't understand why why people don't look at it more. It's just, it's so filled with variety and outright beauty. And it's and it, not only that, but there were no visitor centers required. It's absolutely free for everybody. You know, whether you're living in, in, in the worst slum or you're living on a, on a beautiful mountaintop somewhere. Mm-hmm. If, if you start talking like that, they'll think your elevator ain't getting to the top floor. <laughs> so what you're doing then is, is is you almost need permission to do that. Mm-hmm. And where are you going to get that permission from? And so it was. I, I felt that for spacious skies were, could give you the permission to do that. Amen. If you get enough people doing it, then it becomes something that you can do. Fantastic. There's a book, Andre, entitled... The Life of the Cell by Lewis Thomas, who is a, a, a great science journalist, all right? And in it, he talks about, you know, the cell, as in biology, C-E-L-L. Yeah, mm, okay. And, and, and the magnificence of the cell is the idea that it can keep dividing itself, and then all of a sudden, what do we have? you got a person standing in front of you, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, when you... When you as Lewis Thomas put it, if you can really come to grips with the incredible magnificence of what a cell is, probably you'd be walking down the street and hollering to complete strangers, hey, have you checked out cells yet? Man, they're unbelievable, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, everybody, if you said that okay about your cell phone, about your Android or your iPhone or something, somebody say, fine. But if you say, to, if you say that to somebody about the cell in their body, the, the person will say, get this guy some mental help immediately. Exactly, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so now, now we, let's, let's up the ante a little bit. Now I find myself in contact with Kenneth Spengler. May he rest in peace. He was the executive director of the American Meteorological Society, 45 Beacon Street, Boston, Mass., 02108. I remember right. Ken very, very well. Mm-hmm. Okay. This guy was fantastic, and he became a great friend of For Spacious Skies. Mm. And he's immediately, and fortunately, he was one of my fans on TV. You know what I mean? Sure. Gee, Jack Borden, I watch you on TV all the time. I like the reports, blah, blah. So... Uh, this is when we were planning the conference, and I was calling him up to get some ideas from him. So he says to me, he said, listen, uh, why don't you give a talk at the uh, conference on broadcast meteorology, all right? And um, look down the future to see what we can do with the AMS. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now, off the top, you're going to find that many people, many people who understand it, are going to be people who say, uh, yes, indeed, he's got something there, and uh, I, I would like to see more people look at the sky. I think it's a good thing, because a lot of weathermen do look at the sky, mm-hmm. but a lot of them don't. 
this made me very happy. He said, but you're going to get some amount of pushback, meaning some some, some kind of non-cooperation from the scientific guys who are going to say, these, these are AMS members, going to say, hey, look, this is a science-based organization. What are we doing talking about the beauty of the sky and blah, blah, blah? This isn't an artsy type of thing. And meanwhile, you have these huge organizations uh, like the American Association for the Advancement of Science or the American Association for Arts and Sciences, all right? Because there's a tremendous relationship between art and science, an enormous relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. So he sets it up for me, well, by the time we were finished, I was a four-year, I became a four-year member of the Education Council of the American Meteorological Society. I'll be. And as such, when I would, when I would give some of the talks at the AMS gatherings, uh, a lot of the weathermen would come forth and they'd say, listen, I want to do something on for spacious skies on our air. And big stations, too, KPIX, San Francisco, uh, uh, WBZ Boston, who's right here in, in their backyard, why not? Uh, uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, W. Uh, I mean, we, we had them all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, but these were things where you're up against nobody but the, but the station itself. Because right away, the moment the weatherman starts to talk about it, and it's a great thing to do, one of the things that I wanted to do was I applied to the National Science Foundation. Uh, for a grant uh, and the National Endowment of the Humanities where I would just go from one place to another doing these interviews on the street, asking people what the sky looked like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. okay, and running them in the 6 o'clock news, because that alone will help to trigger sky awareness in a lot of people. When you see somebody on, like you saw me on the air, putting my hand over people's eyes, asking them what the sky looked like, and they didn't know, it tends to enhance in the viewer sky awareness. Say, wow, how could a guy not see the sky? Look at all the sky over him. And the, and the man's asking what the sky looks like, and the person doesn't even know? Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. All right? And yet the person said, but wait a minute. If he did the same thing to me, I wouldn't have known either. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it seems to to trigger sky awareness. And if I could just go from one place to another, all right, I could uh, just give me enough money for a cheap hotel and a Liverwurst sandwich, and I'll go to any <laughs> place in this country because I realized after I had this revelation, all right, I realized that this was important. Not too many people have this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And when they do, they don't do anything about it, mm-hmm. right? I had the feeling, hey, maybe this is the reason I was put on this earth, for God's sake. Yeah. You know what I mean? That maybe maybe this is the meaning of my life. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so I took I took an oath. All right, somewhere back in the early eighties, it was after after um, it was just before the conference, and and I said to myself, self, make a pledge. The pledge will be that not one day of the rest of your life will go by. All right, that you haven't done something, even if it's minuscule, to promote people looking up, mm-hmm. seeing the beauty and wonder of the sky. 
And what an important message to pull out of the archives because it is timeless without a doubt. And we're going to continue with part two of our conversation with Jack Borden in the next episode. Please join us then. In the meantime, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and will help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence, both on social media and by word of mouth. If you have a question or a topic suggestion, I welcome your input. You can easily reach me at weatherjazz at yahoo.com. If you're listening to Weather Jazz via one of the many podcast apps available, remember to subscribe so that you can automatically download every episode as I make them available. And if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area, or plan to visit or simply traveling through, you can catch my 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. weekday weather segments on WJW Television, Fox 8, or online, live at fox8.com. If you have a Twitter or Instagram account, you can follow me at Andre Bernier, A-N-D-R-E-B-E-R-N-I-E-R. We'll see you soon with another engaging episode right here on Weather Jazz.